Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. I'm reading today from First from First Kings chapter 20, beginning with verse 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, meaning God gave him this, this to say, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. And he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall go, shall kill you. And as soon as he left, a lion found him and killed him. Now the story gets even weirder. (laughs) And he found another man. Everybody say another man. And he said, strike me, please. So the man struck him and inflicted a wound. Then, meaning after this happened and only then, the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bag, with a bandage over his eyes. And I want to read one last verse, verse 43. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen, which means heavy or under great conviction and displeased and came to Samaria. I'll make all this come together in just a minute, but I want to talk to you today about this strange, strange story. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I'm sure you've had the same experience. I read things that are hard to understand that seem to be random. They seem to be out of place. They seem to come with no explanation. It's just the weirdest little story. And you think, what? A man walks up. What is this about? But what you begin to understand is in things we don't understand, there's always lessons to learn in the Bible and in life. Things are going to happen that you don't understand but there's a great lesson to learn. And such is the case with this story. It starts out with the prophet hearing from God and going to a man with a weapon, probably because to smite isn't just to slap or to strike, but to smite had, has heavier meaning, maybe a sword, maybe a club, some form of a weapon. This guy walks up to a man and says, the Lord told me to tell you to strike me. <laughs> now, how many of you know that's weird? Uh, when, when, when I was a kid, my dad used to give me spankings and, and whippings, really. And, and, and he, he, he would say this comment that always bugged me. Even as a child, I can hear his voice saying it because he would say this. He would say, you asked for this. <laughs> and me being the smart aleck that I was, I would say, I didn't ask for this. And he said, yes, you did. When you didn't obey what I told you to do, you asked for this. And then my always smart aleck comeback would be, well, I'm asking you not to do this, dad. I'm asking you. And one ask is as good as the other, but it never worked. And, and here's a guy saying, smite me hit. I mean, how crazy is that? Pull your sword out and hit me hard and hurt me, strike me. And then the story gets stranger because this prophet, when the man wouldn't do it, because he's just a nice guy, he, he didn't want to hurt this man for no reason. He'd done nothing to him. So, so the guy said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hurt you, preacher, crazy preacher. 
And, and the Bible said, then, the, then he said, well, thus saith the Lord, when you leave me, a lion's going to eat you. And he walks off and a lion attacks him and kills him. And then he goes to the next person, another man, the Bible said, another man, went to another man, everybody say another man, and gave the same instruction, strike me please. And this man did it immediately. <laughs> you know why? Because he saw what happened to the last guy that didn't obey what the Lord told him to do. Two, two quick things. When God tells you to do it and you know it's the voice of the Lord, like the text said it was, to not obey is releasing the lion, which is Satan and his power. But secondly, here's the powerful thing. Notice that the prophet went to another man, found another man to do what the first person wouldn't do when he knew God's voice had told him to do it. If you don't appreciate your call, if you don't appreciate your place, God will use somebody else. He's always got another man. Just when you think you're all that and you can't be replaced, God can get somebody off drugs. God can raise some no-name person up and replace you overnight. And they'll ask, who was that that used to? Y'all don't want to hear that part, but I'll keep preaching. If you don't love what God's given you, somebody else will. If you don't love your family, if you don't love your job, if you don't love the blessings and that God has given you, God's got another man or another woman. If you don't take advantage of the opportunities that are given to you, God will raise somebody up because his work's going to get done and he'll use the person who is willing to be used. And, you know, if you're not happy uh, to do what God has told you to do, God will find somebody who will be thrilled to do what you could have done, but you were too stubborn to do it. And so the, the guy says, smite me, and he goes to another man, and the second man smote him, and this is the point that I want to make, and this is what I'm preaching about today, and he wounded him. He wounded him. In smiting him, he wounded him. God, I'm preaching today, uses life's bruises. He wounded him, meaning there was a visible wound from the attack, from the hit that he took. He had to put a bandage on it, the text said. But immediately after he was wounded, then he went to a certain place, the prophet did, and waited for the most powerful man in the nation, King Ahab, one of the most wicked men, hard-hearted men who ever lived, married to Jezebel, sacrificed children to, to, to demons and, and burned them in the fire. Here is a man, Ahab, so cold and hard-hearted that no preacher could reach him, including Elijah the prophet. But now that this man has been wounded, he goes with great courage and confidence and sits by the roadside where the Holy Spirit told him the king would be coming. He has a bandage over the wound and he says, now that I've been wounded, I am now qualified to go bring the message to the powerful ear of the king. He had to be wounded first before he was qualified to give the message. He had to hurt. He had to be wounded. The very thing that we complain about, that we get upset with God about when he allows the wounds of life to hit our life 
is the very thing the prophet understood he needed to invite into his life because if he goes and tries to speak to someone as powerful as the king, the king had no time for preachers. But when he saw someone who had been wounded, who had been hurt, who had been through an experience that could have killed him, but he was still alive and he was still there and he still had a word from God for people, that wound got the attention of the king and the king stopped his chariot and listened to every word the man had to say. Some of you may say to me today, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't know the hurt I've incurred. You don't know the scars that I carry. You don't know the wounds of my childhood. You don't understand how that divorce shattered and broke me and left me. And I, you, I can't be used of God. I really can't praise the Lord today. I really can't obey the voice of the Lord today because I've been scarred. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. God can't use me because I've been wounded so bad. And many people even think and probably in the natural have valid excuses. I have a valid excuse, they say, not to be the dad that I should be because I never had a dad. I have a valid excuse today to, be, to not be a good mother because I never had a good mother. I have a valid excuse today for you not to expect much out of me because of where I came from and the kind of life that I came up in and the kind of family that I came up in and the kind of neighborhood that I came up in. I can't do the will of God because I've been wounded, I've been hurt, I've been attacked. Now, here's the different thing the way the prophet saw it. Now that I've been wounded, now that I've been hurt, now that I've been through battles and I survived and I'm still alive, now my message is more than a bunch of words. Now I can speak from a point of proof of experience. I have been there. I have been through it. I know what it is to cry. I know what it is to suffer. I know what it is to suffer injustice. I know what it is to be wounded and hurt severely and still hang on to my faith and hang on to what God told me. And now that when I speak, there is a weightiness behind my words because of the wounds that I've gone through to carry this message. Now I'll be effective. Now I'll be anointed. Now that I've hurt. Now that I've been through something. Now that I've been rejected and wounded. I'm prepared. I'm fearless. I'm courageous. I can look anybody, including the king of the nation, into the eyes and deliver a message from God. And there's a force behind my words because of the suffering, the wounds, the hurts that I've been through. And what I'm preaching to you today is Ahab did hear him. He did pierce the wicked, cold, hardest of hearted 
king in the Bible was King Ahab. And when that wounded prophet got finished with him, delivering a message while the king, the only reason the king listened to him is was, was he knew this man has been through something, it's evident, and his scars and his wounds qualify him to speak to me whatever he wants to say. I want to hear what this guy has to say. You may think that you would think the king of a nation, the president of a nation, would only listen to the most intelligent, the one with the highest IQs, the most skilled, the most gifted communicator on the planet. But no, the king listened to the man. The man who touched the wicked heart of King Ahab was not slick, was not charismatic, he was a man with wounds and scars and he understood that God is going to use what I have been through and what has hurt me to bring glory to his name and to touch this cold-hearted man for the last time. And the Bible said he went home sullen or heavy, heavy. He had heard the sermons all over the place and never paid any attention. But when he encountered a man who had been through and been wounded and, and now lived to tell the message that God brought through him from what he had gone through, it caused conviction to come on his heart. He had battle ground experience. He knew what it was to take a hit and keep on going. Ronald Reagan, the president of the United States many years ago, had a, a speechwriter by the name of Peggy Noonan. And she wrote an article that went, became very famous about the 1993 Black Hawk Down experience with our soldiers in Somalia and how that they had got pinned down in that battle and they were greatly outnumbered and bullets were flying and rockets were firing and they were just overwhelmed and shots coming from everywhere. And the colonel said to the sergeant, if we stay here and we don't get in that, in that HUV and, and get out of here, we're all going to die. And he said, sergeant, get in the truck and drive. And the sergeant held up his arm and it was shot all the pieces and had bullet holes in it. And he said, but sir, I've been wounded. And the colonel said, We've all been wounded. Get in the truck, put it in drive, and move forward. Sometimes we look at God's commands when he says, worship me. And we say, I can't worship him. You don't know the kind of week I had. You don't know the wounds that I've had. You don't know the heartbreak that I've had. You don't know the disappointments, but the Holy Spirit comes right back and says, we've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. Get in the truck a praise, open up your mouth, put it in drive and start praising the Lord and start shaking a little bit and saying, I need the Holy Ghost. I can't lead. I've been wounded. I can't pastor a church. I've been wounded. I shouldn't be up here today. I've been hurt. I can't help others when I need help myself. That's actually when you can help more people than you can ever imagine because they don't need somebody getting up with a memorized speech, three points and a poem. What they need is a word from the Lord from the vessel that has been wounded and hurt and still stands there and says, I know God is God and he brought me through my wound and he can bring 
bring you through every hurt life hits you with. Somebody give God praise for the wounds. The hurts bring, bring weight to your, to your message. That's what I'm trying to preach. You need to throw your excuses away and shift into drive. You need to throw your self-pity away and shift into drive. You need to throw your, your, your why I can't, if only. We got too many if onlys. Some things happen to you and, and you will never get over it. Let's be honest. You will never get over some things, but you can get through it. And just like Joseph, when his family hurt him, he said, they meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. I may be wounded and I may be hurt, but God's going to use it for the good. And he's going to use every hurt you've been through. Say amen, somebody. If only, I hear them all the time as a pastor, if only he hadn't left me when I needed him the most. If only that person hadn't cheated me. If only I hadn't been diagnosed with this horrible disease. If only I hadn't been through a divorce. If only my father wouldn't have left me or my mother wouldn't have. If only, if only. And the truth is, those wounds carry a message that makes a statement about your life and you have to decide, will it be positive or will it be negative? You don't get to pick the wounds. You don't get to pick the attacks. You don't get to pick the swords that are brought against you and the way that they come, but you do get to choose your response. And I can let it turn me into an alcoholic or I can let it turn me into an overcomer. I can let it turn me into a bitter, cynical, mean, angry person, or I can let it turn me into a sensitive, teary-eyed that when somebody talks to me about what they're going through, I can relate because I've been wounded and and I've been hurt, but hallelujah. Do you hear what I'm preaching to you today? In first Chronicles chapter two, there's a girl by the name, a woman by the name of Zerah. Zerah was the sister of King David. And Zerah means in Hebrew, it's uh, Z-E-R-Y-I-A-H. It means my wounds. Her, her name marked her and marked a bad experience in her life. She, they believe, had scars that were visible. Maybe when she was a child, she was burned or hurt some accident and she was scarred for life. And in Bible days, many times, the children were named after the parents' sorrow. In the Old Testament, there's the story of Rachel when she was giving birth and she knew she was bleeding and dying and she was not going to make it. And so she named the child that she gave birth to with her last few breaths. She named him Boniah, which means son of my sorrow. And the father walked over, Jacob, and he said to her, this child's name shall not be Beniah, it shall be Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. This child will not be named the rest of his life. The sorrow of Rachel dying in childbirth will not be transferred to this child as a stigma to wear the rest of this child's life. 
I'm going to not name this child Benoah. This just hit me. I'm going to name that child Benjamin Ben. And, 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 uh, and, 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 and he'll sit as the right hand. Now he came and was birthed into a sorrowful situation, but that won't be the story written over his life. You remember the story in the Old Testament of when, when Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant and there was a woman giving birth. She was the daughter-in-law of Eli, the high priest. And Eli, when he heard the news, the Ark had been taken by the Philistines. He flipped backwards in his chair and accidentally broke his neck. And at the same time, a messenger comes and says to the woman who's in labor, she watches her father-in-law die. She hears the Ark is gone. And then she hears her husband's been killed in battle. And she has the baby and names the child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. What she was doing was she was saying, my sorrow is going to produce sorrow in the next generation. I'm even going to name this child Ichabod. Now here's why I brought up this woman, Zerah. Her name means my, my wounds. And she had three sons. The first son was named, was named Joab, his name means father is Jehovah. The second son she had was Ibishai. His name means father, his father is a gift. And the third name was Eziel, which means made by God. Now here's the amazing thing. Here's a woman who, who, whose name is my wounds, but she reproduces a new generation, three boys, Joab became the four-star general commander of the army of Israel under King David, and he did not lose a battle. The second son became Ibishai, one of David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 23, that when David was an old man and went out to fight a giant, not Goliath, this was another battle, and many of you may have never read this, but the giant almost killed him, knocked him down, was about to kill, take away the light of Israel, the scripture said, and Abishai, the, the son of my sorrow, goes running across the field. No human being except David was ever recorded in the Bible as killing a giant. But in 2 Samuel 23, there's a new hero that arose named Abishai. And his mother was my sorrow. But she didn't let her sorrow produce a loser. She... Her, 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 my sorrow produced in the next generation a four-star general, Abishai, a giant killer, and Ezekiel, uh, you know what he did? The Bible said he had feet like a deer, he could run like a deer, and he was faster than any other man in Israel. He outran every other person. He out every, I don't want to put it like this. He outran everybody in his field. So here's a woman, and she could have named her children after her sorrow and after her breakup and after all she had gone through and all her dysfunction and all the pain and all the insecurities and scars and wounds. But instead, she raised up one child. He's a four-star general. The other child, he's a mighty man that slays giants. And the third child can outrun everybody in his field. Now, my question to you is, what will your wounds produce? What are your wounds going to produce? Bitterness, addiction, generational curses, Rebellion, excuses, resentment, they can or they can turn around and produce champions that say, just because that generation didn't get it, I can go further because I know who my father is and I know who my God is. 
Hallelujah. Everybody take a praise break. That was a good point. That was a good point. Tell somebody, my wounds are going to produce greatness. Jesus didn't build the church till he bled. Jesus didn't build the church till he was wounded. Jesus didn't build the church until he was beaten. Jesus didn't win the church until it looked like he was defeated, smitten of God, forsaken, bleeding, left for dead. He did not produce this today without wounds. And what are your wounds going to produce? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What will your wounds produce? You know that even after Jesus comes again and the church is raptured and then the world will go into the seven years of tribulation, you'll have gas shortage, you'll have food shortage, you'll have the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell. And, and Kate, listen to this flash. If, 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 you're not, if you're not paying attention to what is going on it's more than shots and all of that. I don't care if you get a shot, don't get a shot. I don't care. I, I'm not here about that. But what is very evident is something is going on to control the humanity. And when you can't buy or sell, and when you can get let go from your job because you won't Wonder when it's going to turn on the church. Wonder when they're going to, and folks, we get uncomfortable with all this. Get uncomfortable. If it's in this book, I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to tell you where we are. I'm going to tell you right where we are. During, once, the, whoop, one of these days, morning, night, or noon, the bride is going, the bridegroom's going to step out on a cloud. He's going to pick up the trumpet and the trumpet is going to sound and the church is going up. The upper taker's going to put the undertaker out of business because the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we who are alive and remain will be called up to meet. I don't believe you'll be ready if you're in the club shaking and drunk and high. I oh, oh, don't stop. I don't believe you'll be ready if you're in a bed of adultery. I don't believe you'll be ready if you're looking at pornography. I don't believe you'll be ready. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed and you better get ready. This is not a game. The signs of the times are happening quicker. All you need is a Bible and, and the New York Times and the signs of the times. They're all mixed up together. They said it could never happen. It's happening. The chip is happening. It's happening. One world government is happening. America is being diminished right before our very eyes. It's happening. And when the trumpet sounds, the church, the body of Christ, those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not legalism, that's Bible. If you're lost and you enjoy being lost, that means you're a goat, you're not a sheep. Because a sheep does wander away, but he's so happy. The Bible said when the shepherd found him, they, they were rejoicing. That, that, that means the shepherd was rejoicing, but the little sheep around his shoulder was, I'm happy. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad to get back in church. But if you can go for weeks and months and live in hell and live in sin, you are not a sheep. You are a goat. Because sheep are happy when they get back on the right direction. 
Just preaching. Where did all this come from? I know exactly what I'm doing. But during that seven years of tribulation after the trumpet sounds, there will come for three and a half years prosperity and blessing on this world like you've never seen. People will go for it, hook, line, and sinker. A world leader will come on the scene. He will have the answer. He will bring prosperity. He will bring peace. He will bring joy. He will bring unity. It will be wonderful. He will bring a world religion. He will bring one world currency. He will bring the world together like never before and the multitudes. But at the end of three and a half years, he will turn on the nation of Israel and he will turn on every person who does not come in line with every rule that he has. You won't be able to buy or trade or get food without the mark of the beast. And at the end of those seven years, just when the world's armies and the Bible said China and Iran and Russia they will all form a confederation and with the other nations of the world under the rulership of the Antichrist will invade Israel and it will all come down at the end of those seven years to a battle in the valley of Megiddo. I've stood there. It's a valley as long as you can see. And there the battle of Armageddon will take place and those armies will finally have Israel surrounded, what is left of the nation of Israel. And just when it looks like that it's over and the Antichrist has won, suddenly a light will break forth in the clouds. Suddenly you and I who have been raptured, I can't speak for you, but I'm going to be riding on a white horse with him. That's right out of the book of Revelation. And Upon the white horse will come one whose hair is white as wool, whose face and countenance is as lightning, and his eyes were like a fire. And upon him was a vesture saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will open his mouth. And when he speaks, the sword of his tongue will annihilate the Antichrist and all of his armies. Woo! Somebody shout just a minute. Oh, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Somebody give God a shout and I'll keep on preaching in just a minute. Oh, I feel the Lord in this house. You better get ready, backslider. You better get ready, college student. You better get ready, millionaire. Your money won't buy you out of this one. You must be washed in the blood. You must be washed. You must be born again. Now watch. Suddenly, the Jews will look up. And the Bible said in Zechariah, prophecy yet to be fulfilled. After he annihilates their enemies, they will bow down. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall. They'll bow down and they'll say to the one who delivered them, from sudden destruction, certain destruction, they'll say, hey, we didn't see you get shot. Where did you get the wounds in your hands and in your feet? Where did these, this is a th multiple thousand year prophecy. They will say, where did you get the wounds? And Jesus will say, these are the wounds 
I received in the house of my friends. And suddenly the scales will fall off of their eyes. And they'll realize before Abraham was, he was. He's the one that we crucified. He's the one we put those nail scars in his hands. And when they see the wounds, they'll fall down and 144,000 will instantly be converted to the messianic Jesus Christ. Your wounds will have more impact than your talent. Your wounds will have more impact than your intellect. Your wounds and your hurts and the experiences of life's battlefield that left you scarred and marred will have more influence than any education you can ever get. Why? Why? Because like with Jacob when he was wounded, wrestling with God, his descendants would forever remember. Jacob got in a wrestling match and God wounded him. And in that moment, God said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but you shall be called Israel. And I'll give you power with God and favor with men. And Israel produced 12 tribes. Israel, the man, produced 12 tribes through his wife. And, and the 12 tribes, one of them was the tribe of Judah. And out of the tribe of Judah came one named Jesus Christ. But it would have never happened if he hadn't been wounded in a wrestling match. Maybe what will impact our children and our children's children is not our trophy chest of successes, but how we walk with wounds and they watch us more then. They watch how we deal with the sorrows and the hurts and the wounds of life. Maybe that is what the Holy Spirit will use after I'm dead and gone and you're dead and gone, that the children and children's children will remember but they never lost their faith in God. They went through a lot. They got hurt. They got wounded. But mom and dad never lost their faith in God. And I don't know who I'm preaching to today. But I feel like telling you the only, the only man-made thing in heaven. The only man-made thing in heaven, the new Jerusalem, is scars on Jesus' body. When he rose from the dead, Thomas said, I'll never believe it. But when he walked into the room where Thomas the disciple was, and he said, touch my wounds. And when he touched the wounds, he said, I believe the message now. And when we get to heaven, think about what I'm saying. The Bible said there's one mediator between God and man. And I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, but there is no priest, there is no saint that you can pray through and get to the Father. There is one mediator between God and man. This is a Bible verse in the New Testament. The man, Jesus Christ. The reason he said the man is he still has a physical body. And when you get to heaven, the only thing man made, the streets of gold, the mansions, the gates of pearl, all of that made by angels and God. But one thing's in heaven, man made. 
The scars are still on his body. Sign of the covenant. That the only reason I'm here with my family around a sea of glass, worshiping the lamb that was slain, is because of those wounds and those scars on his body. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Lift your hands high and present to God every wound, every hurt. Because I'm preaching to wounded people who've gone through wounds and hurts and stuff that almost took you out, almost gave you the excuse to waste and wallow the rest of your life. But the Lord sent you here today to tell you He uses life's bruises. He uses life's wounds. He uses the those who were not there for you. He can use all the makeup of who you are to bring glory and power to the message. And when Ahab rode by, he said, I can't resist the message from that person who's been wounded because it rings true. It rings true. They've lived. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.